Dear Lord Jesus, I love you so much, and I am so grateful for you. I'm grateful for your word. I'm grateful for this body of believers, uh, how we are a family, and we love each other, and it's no short of a miracle, Lord, um, just to see the amazing things that you've done in our midst. Uh, I pray that you would be honored by what I have to say, that you would give me the right words to speak. Uh, yeah, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. Uh, when Jason had asked if I would be interested in speaking, it's probably a month ago, and I was like, yeah, I, I would, I would. And he said, you can either talk about this passage. I wrote Matthew, but it's actually Mark. Sorry about that. Um, it's Mark 7, 1 through 23, not Matthew. Um, he said, you can talk about that or you can talk about whatever you want to. Um, and I read it. And I was like, well, I'm not talking about that. Um, but God just kept putting it on my heart. And I was like, you should read that again. You should read that again. Um, and so so that's what I'm going to talk to you about today. Not at all, Matthew, but instead, Mark. Um, yeah, I did this early this morning. And so apparently I didn't have a chance to proofread very well. Okay, so I'm just going to read through it right quick. And then we'll just jump into what I have to say um, about what is love. Okay, um, it, it says, the Pharisees and some of the teachers of the law had come from Jerusalem gathering around Jesus and saw some of his disciples eating food with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. The Pharisees and all the Jews do not in, eat unless they uh, give their hands a ceremonial washing, um, holding to the traditions of the elders. When they came to the, when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And they observe many other traditions, such as washing the cup and pitcher and kettles. So the Pharisees and the teachers of the law asked Jesus, why don't your disciples live according to the traditions of the elders instead of they eat with defiled hands? And he replied, uh, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. It is written, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. Uh, you have let go of God's commands and hold on to human traditions. And you, and he continued, uh, you have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. For Moses said, honor your father and mother, and uh, anyone who curses his father and mother is to be put to death. But you say that if anyone declares that what he, what have might have been helpful to his parents is now Coban, that is devoted to God, then he's no longer to give anything to his father and mother. Thus you nullify the word of God by your traditions that you have down, handed down, and you do many things like that. Again, Jesus called the crowd to him and said, listen to me, everyone, and understand this. Nothing inside a person um, can defile them, by going into them. Rather, it is what comes out of the person that defiles them. Um, after the crowds had left, he entered the house and his disciples asked him about the parable. Are you so dull, he said? Uh, don't you see that nothing that enters a person from the inside can defile them? Um, it doesn't go into his heart, but into his stomach and out the body. In saying this, Jesus declared all food clean. He went on, uh, what comes out of a person is what defiles him, for it is from within, out of a person's heart, come evil thoughts, 
sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All of these uh, come from inside, and that's what defiles a person. Okay. Um, so actually, I'm just reading that right now. I'm thinking, man, there was a lot of ways that I could have gone with this. And so, but I'm I'm just going to stick with what I got, um, maybe. Um, so when I read that passage, um, the reason I didn't want to do it um, is because it's a hard passage. Um, you ever read passages like that and think, Jesus is kind of harsh, you know, he's kind of a little bit of a jerk sometimes towards people. Um, he's, he, he slays them, man. He just cuts them open and he, he speaks like Tad said, he's offensive. He is offensive sometimes. And it's like, Oh, I don't like that. <laughs> you know, I don't like that. Almost always Jesus is not that way towards me. He's kind and loving and compassion. And his words to me are gentle. Um, and yeah, sometimes I'm like, why did you do that? Because that gives you a bad rap, Jesus. It gives you a bad rap because then people think that you're harsh and rude um, towards people. Um, but it just brings me to the question, so what is love? Uh, what is the love? If Jesus is God, which he is, and he loves perfectly, which he does, then that was loving. Then the thing that he did there was loving. Um, and so what is love? Uh, so oftentimes where we get our definition of love comes from the world and what the world says love is. Um, I put up a bunch of things, um, and those are the easy ones to spot, but there are many ways that the world infiltrates our thinking that we are not even always aware of. Um, little things that um, tell us this is what love really looks like. This is how we should be loving. We should be kind and gentle and we should never offend anyone ever because that's not loving. Um, you know, that's one of the biggest messages in the world today is that we should never, we should always accept everyone exactly the way they are and never offend them, never question their decisions. We should always just let them drink the poison and say, good job for the poison. And you go, you know, you go for it. Um, and all the while we know that it's poison and it doesn't sound like love when I say it that way, but that's what we do every day. And that's what we think. That's what the world keeps telling us. That's what love is. And certainly that love has infiltrated my thinking sometimes um, because I don't like to offend people. You know, I want people to like me. And when you are offensive, sometimes people don't like you very much. That's what Tad just talked about. Sometimes people don't like you very much when you say things when you say hard things to them. Um, and so, so we have to be careful. Um, you know, Jesus talked about be careful of the yeast of the Pharisees. And, and the same for us. We have to be careful about letting ourselves be tainted by the world because the world has an order and that's or order is not ours. Uh, you know, we are strangers here. This is not our world. Um, and if, if we belong to Jesus, this is not our world. This world um, that says that, you know, that love is love and cohabitation is good and, um, you know, everybody wins all the time and everything is good and we just should all just be happy and never say anything that could be offensive to anyone ever. Um, that is not our world. Um, and that is a world that leads to destruction for people. And so sometimes we are called to 
say things that are offensive and hard and hard. Um, and it could end up in people not liking us very well. So if the world says, you know, don't offend people at all costs and always validate everyone's choices, if that's what the world says love is, what does the Bible say that love is? And so um, anytime you think about what does the Bible say on love, most people think of 1 Corinthians 13, because it's the most beautiful passage about love, I think. The most beautiful definition of love that's in the Bible. And it says, love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, and is not easily angered, and keeps no record of wrong. Love delights, love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. Um, yeah, a lot of people have that written or read at their wedding because it is a beautiful passage. And it's kind of what we try to do for each other is that we try to be not envious and not boastful and kind and compassionate and patient, long-suffering towards each other. Um, but in there, it doesn't say anything about offensive it doesn't say, you know, love is offensive. Love sometimes is offensive, though. Um, and so that's a good definition, and it is one that we should strive for. It's not always complete, because sometimes we have to say the hard thing that can be offensive. Another one, um, when I think about big passages in the Bible that talk about love, I think about John, um, you know. And so there's many passages in John that I could have chosen, um, and so this is the one I had to chose out of John 15. And it says, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's command and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. And so we see from that that God gives us the command to love each other. And we have to figure out what does this look like? How do we do this in a way? Um, where, where we're not driving people away because we're so uh, rude and offensive towards people that people are like, mm. but also being bold to say the right thing, being bold to say the scary thing and to just say, you know, because I have to, because I love you, I have to say this to you and you're not going to like it. You're not going to want to hear what I have to say, but it's the command that we have is to love each other as he has loved us. And so we see in the passage in Mark, Jesus was loving the Pharisees. He was loving them very well by saying, you hypocrites, you're, you're doing everything wrong. Um, and, and so sometimes when we, if we're going to love the way he loved, sometimes we have to do that too. Um, so a couple more um, from 1 John. It says, uh, see what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called his children, and that is what we are. Uh, we know that we have passed from death to life because we love each other. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Anyone who hates his brother or sister is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. Uh, this is how we know what love is, that Jesus laid down his life for us, and we ought to do the same for, for our brothers and sisters. And so we see from that love is sacrificial, um, that we, if we're going to love people, uh, we have to be willing to lay down self, um, and we have to be willing to be hated, uh, because he also says, though, if the world hates you, it hated me first, um, and expect it. 
expect it. So when we're doing things right and when we are really being loving, um, when we love each other in this body, we speak the truth, sometimes the hard truth to each other. Um, and we don't always like it, but we love it. You know what I mean? It's not always fun to hear the hard truth. It's not always fun. Um, as an example, last night, Tad was talking about, um, I can't really come up with the scripture I used, but he was really talking about um, going for it and not being lazy, not being um, distracted by anything, but, you know, putting all of yourself into that. And yeah, hit me, hit me right here. Um, because, yeah, because sometimes I can be lazy. Sometimes I can not do the things that I want to do. And I was like, oh, yeah, I don't like that. I don't like that, but I love that because it's what I needed to hear. You know, it's what I needed to hear to go, yeah, I gotta, I need to push harder um, because that ultimately is what I want. And so it's things like that. It's being willing to lay down our life for people by, by the things that he talked about, lay down our lives for um, Exuse's family, Annie and Richard, Exuse's their oldest son, um, laying down our lives for each other, um, but also laying down our lives for a lost and dying world, um, because that's what we're called to do. So the last one, um, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As is written, for your sake, we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to a slaughter. This is no. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. I'm convinced that neither death nor life, angels nor demons, the present or future or any power, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. So from that, we see that love doesn't isn't bound to the circumstances of our life. And so if we think that God can only show us his love if our life looks like the American dream, if we have all the money we need and we have all the resources we need and, you know, we we get the car and the, you know, husband and the white picket fence or whatever it is, if we are looking to our circumstances, if we think I need to have the good job and the good, you know, that, that pays well, or we think, you know, that all the people should love me, that's that's not what Jesus says that love is. Jesus says that his love is undying and it, and it won't always look like it from the circumstances that are around us. That there are things that sometimes the circumstances of our life will be um, trouble and hardship and persecution and famine and naked and danger and sword. Those things don't seem like loving things to me. They're not, as a matter of fact. But that doesn't separate us from the love of God. And in fact, sometimes in the midst of those things is when we see his love most clearly. It's when we have nothing else but him. And then we run to him. And then that's when you really know and feel the love of God is when you're in the middle of a hard trial. And that's sometimes, sometimes that's not the case. But oftentimes that's when you know him the most, when you when you feel him supporting you when you got nothing else in this world. Um, and ultimately that's where we are, nothing else in this world. So um, so when you think about those in light of the story, still um, going back to Mark um, and Jesus is, is telling the Pharisees that they are hypocrites and that they are, um, that they are disobedient to God. Let me just tell you, the the Pharisees did not think they were disobedient to God. Um, the Pharisees' 
prided themselves in doing everything right. You know, Paul talks about legalistic, uh, according to legalistic righteousness, he was faultless. He was following the law perfectly, at least in his eyes. And probably he was at least, you know, at, at the basic level, he was doing it faultlessly is what he said. Um, and so the Pharisees didn't think that they were doing everything wrong. And for Jesus to say, oh, but you are, um, it was was very offensive to them. And it's, you know, ultimately why they killed him. Um, so I just want to talk about the three players, Jesus' interactions with the three players in the audience. Really, I'm not even going to hardly talk about the text itself, but just Jesus' interactions with the Pharisees, with the crowd, with the people who are there, and with the disciples, and how those things don't always look like the way we imagine love to look like, um, the gentle, kind, patient, long-suffering, uh, you know, always hopes, always trusts. doesn't look like that. It is that. It doesn't always look like that. And so I just wanted to share my thoughts about that. Um, so we'll start with the Pharisees. And uh, my first question is, was Jesus angry at the Pharisees? Do you think he was angry at them when he said, you know, Isaiah was right about you. You're hypocrites because you um, honor me with honor God with your lips, but your hearts are far from me. You think he was angry? I mean, he came across as angry um, in the text, but I actually think that that's just the way we read it. You know, if I said that, I think I wouldn't call you a hypocrite unless I was a little frustrated with you. Um, but I don't think Jesus was actually. I don't think he was angry at them because I know that Jesus has said very offensive things to me before, um, things that I didn't necessarily like to hear. And I don't think he was angry at me. It didn't come across in an angry voice. It was gentle and was kind, but it was direct and offensive. Um, so there's two reasons biblically why I think maybe Jesus wasn't angry at them. One is, um, at least not in the tradition, at least not in the way that we feel anger. He might have been, he might add some righteous anger in there, but in the, you know, James says, uh, man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. And so Jesus would not have been angry in a, I'm annoyed with you sort of way, because Jesus didn't sin. And anger is sinful. I mean, he says that in the Sermon on the Mount, that, you know, man's anger is equated to murder. So Jesus wasn't angry at them from the sense that, that he, in his flesh, was annoyed with them. And the second one is, you know, in Ephesians, it says our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's against the enemy, which is the spiritual forces of wickedness. And so Jesus wouldn't have been angry at the Pharisees. He would have been angry at Satan because they were under the power of Satan. They were under the power of an illusion that Satan had crafted for them. And so, um, so I don't think he was necessarily angry at them. You know, when you read it, sometimes your voice, you, you know, you picture it in your head and maybe it sounds like he's angry, but maybe he wasn't. Maybe it wasn't. His voice wasn't angry. It was more gentle and saying, like, um, one of the things when you go to evangelism with Ty, oftentimes he prays um, a prayer that says um, something about um, Jesus looked on the crowd and saw them harassed as sheep without a shepherd. And maybe that's the way Jesus did see the Pharisees, because that's who they were. That's who they were. So we've been talking about legalism. And so I just thought when I read this passage, it was like, oh, no, I'm going to have to talk about legalism because 
this is a passage about legalism. Um, largely, you know, the Pharisees were doing everything according to the letter of the law. And, you know, I have to follow Matt and I have to follow Tad talking about legalism. And they've done an excellent job. And I don't want to follow them in that. But because it largely is a passage on uh, legalism, I felt like I had to say a little bit about the Pharisees' legalism. The definition that I use for legalism, um, I think the the classical definition of legalism is anytime you add anything to your requirements in order to achieve salvation. So um, in order to get salvation, I need Jesus plus I need to follow X, Y, Z rules. I need to do all of these things just perfect and, you know, comb my hair right or recite, you know, these prayers just right or whatever it is. Um, and I'll go with that. But I think it oftentimes goes farther than that, or at least it has a deeper foundation than that. Um, I think it can be legalistic if you are trying to earn anything from God. Um, God is a good, kind father to us. And um, we, as his children, have his blessing. You know, in John, First John, it says, um, from above, it talked about, what great love the father has lavished on us that we are his children. And that is what we are. And as his children, we have his favor. We have his blessing. We have his undying love. We don't have to earn it. Um, you know, in, in, and so anytime that you are, that you are trying to earn God's love by keeping all the rules, by doing all the things, um, by even spiritual disciplines, by getting up at 5 a.m. and, you know, getting in the word and having your time in prayer. If you're doing those things to earn God's blessing, or you're trying to use those things to twist God's arm so that he will do the thing that you're asking him for, that like he, like if you, you know, it's like an obligation in Romans, I think in four-ish, um, it talks about that. Uh, let me think if I can think of that verse. It talks about that um, if a man works, um, what is given to him is not a gift. It's an obligation. But what we have is a gift. It's not an obligation. But if you're doing works thinking that now, God, you're obligated to do this for me, you're obligated to do it. Um, and you're trying to twist God's arm in order to, uh, in order to leverage him, your obedience is a work. And God doesn't respond to that. It's, it is, it's not good. It's not good for you. It's not good for him. Um, it's not the way that he wants things because he wants a relationship with you. And so, um, <clears throat> so you might say, if I don't have to do those things, if I don't have to walk in all of these legal things in order to earn God's love and favor and blessing and answers to prayer, if I'm not earning those things, if I don't have to do those things in order to earn those things, then why be obedient? Um, I think that even that very question so shows that we don't really know the character of God. Um, because if we understand the good, good character of God, obedience is the only logical choice. Uh, because, you know, we have our own ways. We like to do things and we think we're right. Um, but we almost never are. <laughs> we almost never are. Because God is good and his ways are good. And everything that he asks us to do is for your good and for my good. And, you know, he doesn't ever, you know, ask you to do something that's going to end up hurting Marlena. 
because he loves Marlena and he doesn't want that, you know, and, and vice versa. He's not going to ask me to do something that's ultimately might hurt them in, in the short run, but in the long run, it's better in the long run. It's way better. Um, any of you have had to leave um, a, a girlfriend or boyfriend because the Lord told you to at the time it hurt them. Um, but in the long run, it's way better, it's better for you, but it was better for them too, because the relationship was not honoring God and therefore it could not be blessed. And so, we we are obedient to God because God loves us and because his way is absolutely the best. It's best for us. Um, in Galatians, it talks about how um, when we sow to read, re, we sow to please the sin nature from that nature, we reap destruction. And so anytime we are sowing to please our sin nature, there's a risk that that is going to reap destruction in our lives and in the lives of others. Anytime we just walk in obedience that doesn't happen. And also life is easier that way because you don't have to figure everything out. Um, all you have to do is just listen and obey. Um, I make it sound like that's a way easier thing than it actually is, but it's pretty simple. Um, carrying it out, not always simple. But another thing that I wanted to point out about Jesus's response to the Pharisees is when I read through Mark um, in preparation for this, um, one of the things that I noticed is how often Jesus has interactions with the Pharisees. Um, up, in, up until that point, he'd had at least six, and I think it was is more than that. I stopped at that point because I was like, "That's enough. I got enough. I got enough ammo to make the point, right?" Um, and so, in I'm not going to go through all of these because I don't have time, and and you don't want me to, um, but. But I'm going to have to have my glasses for this one. Um, so in 144, that's the first one. Um, so in that passage, um, a a man comes with leprosy and he tells Jesus, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Filled with compassion, Jesus reaches down, um, reaches out his hand and touches him. He says, I am willing, be clean. So that's just a precious verse, right? Because because oftentimes we don't think God is willing. We think he's able. We think he's powerful. We just don't think he really wants to because he doesn't love us that much. But that verse is just beautiful. Um, but when he is talking to the guy after he's been cleansed, um, he says, see to it that you don't tell anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifice Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. And so Jesus honored the the people who were on Moses' seat um, early on in his ministry. He honored the Pharisees and the teachers of law, the priests, the people who were in charge um, by saying, by saying, you know, go show yourself to them as a testimony to them. You know, in John, and uh, I think probably 14-ish, um, Jesus talks about, um, Philip says, show us the Father. And he says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Um, and he says, if you don't believe what I'm telling you, at least believe the miracles. And so that's what Jesus is saying. At least believe the miracles, um, you know, of the things that I'm doing. Show this as a testimony to them to be able to see that um, that he, that he's on the scene, you know, that he's God in flesh. Um, and he wanted them to be able to see that. Sorry, don't laugh at me because you're making me lose my place. Okay. So, um, so 
Um, and another time when he is calling Matthew um, or Levi, as it says in here, um, the Pharisees are coming to him and saying, why are you hanging out with low lives? Why are you hanging out with, you know, uh, tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus says to them, um, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. Um, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. And if, you know, the the Pharisees in their heart of hearts knew that they were not the righteous, that they also were the sinners in need. Um, he didn't just call them out boldly at that time, but he gave them that opportunity to come to them. And so as, as um, Jesus's relationship with the Pharisees moves on, Jesus gets a little more bold and a little more offensive because they weren't getting it, right? They weren't getting it. And that's exactly the way he is with us. Um, Jesus always comes to us in that first Corinthians way. Love is patient. Love is kind. Doesn't envy. It doesn't boast. It always wants the best for you. And it always does want. And, and but it, it, that gentle feeling of that, of that verse, that's the way Jesus comes. But if you won't listen, turns up the heat a little bit. And if you still won't listen, he turns up the heat a little bit. And if you still won't listen, you know, if you are reading in Matthew towards like, um, when he's talking about the seven woes, you know, he just slays them um, because they wouldn't listen, because they wouldn't listen. And um, sometimes it takes an offense to shock us, to get us to go, whoa, you're right. You're right. I, you know, I missed it and I'm wrong. Um, and so, so with the Pharisees, when we see Jesus being, um, very direct and pointed toward them, a little bit offensive, saying things that were really designed to offend them. Um, it was the most loving thing to do. So in regards to the crowd, um, he spoke to the crowds in, um, he spoke to the crowds with parables. <clears throat> the second one here says, um, with many similar parables, Jesus spoke to them um, as many as could understand. He did not say anything to them um, without using parables, uh, but to his disciples, he explained everything. Um, and so why did Jesus do that? That doesn't seem also very loving. It doesn't seem like a very loving, like he's under the surface, right? He's he's trying to hide the truth from people. Um, again, I just don't think we see that clearly. I just don't think we're understanding the truth of what is going on there. Jesus did speak to people in parables, um, just like um, in our in our churches today across this nation, many, many people are in churches. Many of those people don't really have a relationship with Jesus. They're not really born again. They've missed the, they've missed the boat. They've missed the point of it all. And so they don't realize that what Jesus is calling them to do is something completely different than what they've been doing their whole life, whether it's just going to church or whether it is, you know, trying to be a good person or whatever, whatever that might be. And I think that that is the thing that Jesus is doing here um, is that the people, it says um, he spoke to them, uh, spoke these words to them as many could understand. And so the people who were genuine and seeking he was going to make sure that they got it. He was going to make sure 
that they understood the thing. And for people who were just there because he provided bread for them or, you know, because he was, you know, for what he could do for them. I mean, we all go to him because of what he can do for us, but they were really there for a dog and pony show more than that they were there because God had taken on human form and come to earth. Um, he spoke to them in a cloaked way, um, not because he doesn't want them. That's not at all why, but it's because some, because what is love? Love to people whose hearts are tender is tender and love towards people whose hearts are hard is hard. Um, and that's the way Jesus did, did things. And that's the same way he calls us to do. So um, regarding the disciples, um, Jesus had the most intimate relationship with his disciples of all the people. He didn't really have a lot of intimate relationships with the Pharisees or with the crowds. They were always around and he was always preaching to them and speaking to them and healing the sick and driving out demons. And he was always doing these things that was demonstrating who he was to them. But to his disciples, he had um, he had the most intimate relationship. And I think um, the passage that I really love that, that demonstrates the intimacy of his relationship is when he is talking to Peter in, in Matthew 16, where, you know, on one end of the passage, He's saying, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by the Father. And so he was commending him and saying, yeah, you're, you got it. You, you know, you, you get it. And thank you for that. And then just a few passages later, he's saying, get behind me, Satan, to, to Peter, um, because he, because he was a stumbling block. You, you know, you're, you don't, you don't know what I have in mind. You don't know what I'm about. You're about human ways and you're not seeing. And so Jesus had this very intimate relationship with his disciples where he was constantly encouraging them and correcting them, encouraging them and correcting them, giving them power and sending them out and then bringing them back and, and, and teaching them more and correcting them because he had this, this very close, intimate relationship with them. And it's easier to see his love for them, even though he often calls them things like little faith and says, are you dull? Um, they too sometimes needed a jarring uh, because they had let the world, they, you know, they were Jewish people and they had a lot of world in them. And so he had to jar a lot of that out of them. And and sometimes he did that by just being a little bit offensive, but it certainly wasn't out of love. He didn't ever go farther than he had to with any of us in order to get our attention, in order to get us to turn back towards the truth, in order to get us to turn and being on the right path. That's how harsh he is. And so, like I said, you know, to the tender, his love is tender and to the hard hearted, his love is hard hearted um, because it has to be that way. And that's the way. And, you know, the lesson that I want us to get from that is that, you know, many of us want to go out and make disciples and to be that, you know, loving person to um, a lost and dying world. And that's what we're called to do. That's what we should do. Um, and and oftentimes I think we have the impression that the way to go about doing that is just being nice, you know, just offering people, you know, dad talked about the things that we want to do for the family from from Congo. Um, and we do, we do. But it's not always just about, you know, buying them food or uh, paying their rent or doing those things. Love takes um, takes a lot of wisdom. And so 
that's you know what is kind of what I wanted to conclude. So the first is keep yourself from being polluted by the world. This is kind of my um, lesson, the lesson from what I had to say today. Keep yourself from being polluted by the world. The world tells us a very different story about what is love. And um, if we're not careful, we can include that in our the way that we practice love, the way that we practice what is love. Um, that can start to to overlap. And and if I had more time, I have many stories about I've done that so many times where I wanted to be soft and gentle when I really needed to be hard, when I really needed to lay it down the heart. I needed to speak the hard truth, but I didn't want to um, because I because I wanted to be liked, really. That really is what it comes down to. But, um, you know, just just make sure that that you're not living according to the world's order, but according to what Jesus says is love. Um, the second one is um, love requires wisdom and faith. James says, um, if anyone asks wisdom, needs wisdom, he just has to ask. And God gives graciously and generously to all without finding fault, but he must believe and not doubt. So it takes wisdom and it takes faith. And our best wisdom comes from God. Um, he's the one, you know, he's the one who is the giver of wisdom uh, he's the author of life. Um, he is the one who loves perfectly and he can lead us into perfect love. Um, but we just have to be able to seek him and and believe that he will do it. Um, also, you can't have wisdom and faith without knowing the word. Um, Romans says, um, faith comes by hearing and hearing of the word of truth. Um, and so the things that you have faith towards have to come out of the word because if we're not on point with the word um, and not doing those things, we shouldn't expect, we shouldn't expect to receive anything from God because we're not on his plan. You know, that's what that we shouldn't, we're like a wave tossed in the sea. We're, we're duplicitous instead of being on track. Um, and then the last one is just obey. Um, sometimes the, sometimes it doesn't seem like the things that God asked us to do. Marlena gave us a great um, devotional this morning. And um, yeah, she talked about how sometimes the things that God asks us to do don't make a lot of sense for us. They, yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't make sense in our own minds. Um, it might not make sense to our families, might not make sense to um, our roommates or whoever it is. Um, but obedience will always pay off. Um, not because we have to do it in order to earn God's way but because that's because but because truly his way is best so okay that's what i got today